Hey, profs. Welcome on in. My name's Rob Lightfoot, proud two-time alum of Rick Edelman College of Communication, class of 2000-2001. This is Beyond the Brown and Gold. I'm Jessica Kennedy. I'm the co-host here, also a two-time proud Rowan alum, class of 2008 from the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts, and 2015 from the College of Education. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Beyond the Brown and Gold, a show that highlights the lives and memories of Glassboro State and Rowan University alumni. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Lightfoot and Jessica Kennedy. On today's show, we have a very special guest, someone I am very excited to share with the entire alumni community. We have Dr. Lillian Lodge, Copenhaver Class of 1962. Say that five times real fast. Oh no, okay. she's got a she's got a lengthy name. She's got a it's lengthy a, name. It's a hearty good name, but it comes with a lot because she's done a lot. Oh my goodness, we were talking in the interview. Wait till you hear all of the things she's done. And as a, a female, just what like a path she's blazed for our future women in communication. So Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about Lillian? We gotta take up get her whole CV up because it's like eighty two pages long. Yeah, wait, wait, here. <laughs> here, here, this is what we have here on her, right? So she, like, like Jess said, she's a 62 alum. She was on the, when she was here, she was an English major, but then she was on the wit. She was on so many of the different pieces of, of, of she's won tons of awards. Oh my goodness. We forgot to even mention in the interview that she was the 2020 Lifetime Service Award recipient. From, yeah, I think you just did it now. Yeah. So I'm going to put it out there because we didn't talk about it, unfortunately. But And then, and then she's made it, uh, she's obviously very connected to the university philanthropically, but also through her Center for the Advancement of Women in Communication, which we're now a proud affiliate of. Yes. She is Dean Emeritus and Professor Emeritus for the School of Journalism and Mass Communications at Florida International University. And she's also the executive director for the Center for the Advancement of Women in Communication at Florida International University. She was with FIU from their humble beginnings from really day one or two or something she was saying in the interview. And she's seen it grow and they're celebrating their 50th year. So she has a rich career history to share with you all. And we're really jazzed uh, that she was able to join us all the way from the Sunshine State. So all the way from the Sunshine State, we have a dear friend of the university, Dr. Lillian Lodge Copenhaver. Lillian, thank you for joining us today. I'm delighted to be here. And you have this fabulous FIU background that says the future is female behind you, which I love. And FIU stands for? Florida International University, which is here in Miami. And Lillian, how long have you been with FIU? Well, actually, this year marks an anniversary for me. I have been at FIU 50 years. Wow. Congratulations. I have literally grown up with FIU. I started at FIU when the university was only nine months old and it literally opened so I am considered one of the founders of the university because I came in FIU's first year. Um, and so and FIU is 50 years old this year. So it's very, very cool. That is very cool. You're a part of the rich history of the institution. So we're going to go back to before your FIU time, back to your time. And uh, Lily and I have quite a few things in common. So we know each other pretty well because we grew up in the, the same area. So Lily, and why don't you tell our guests today where you grew up and how you found out about Glassboro State? Well, I grew up in at the Jersey Shore, Point Pleasant. I uh, went to Point Pleasant Beach High School, and I will say that the Jersey Shore is just a wonderful place to grow up. All of the beaches and everything that you have that's fun there. 
I, I chose Glassboro, gosh, I think when I was a freshman in high school, because I just knew that was where I wanted to go. I loved the location. I loved the look of the campus. And and so all through high school, I, I was I was determined that's where I was going to go. So um, and I did. I will tell you that it's one of the best experiences I ever had in my life. Uh, it was a wonderful four years that I spent there. I lived on campus, of course, but commuted home weekends and uh, the funny thing was that I, I was the one with the carpool. So we had a lot of folks from the shore, from the Point Pleasant, Manasquan area, who would ride home back and forth with me on the weekends to go home. Uh, they would go to their houses and then they'd come and meet me. And then we'd drive back Sunday night back to campus. So it was fun. Now, did you have anybody of your friends that were coming to Glassboro? Like, how did you find out? Because there was no Google back then. We weren't binging anything or Googling anything back then. How did you, how'd you find out about the school? You know, I I think it was just through the counselors. There wasn't that I knew anybody who went there. That definitely wasn't it. I think it was just some of the counselors. And then there were a number of us who from the high school went there. So we kind of, you know, uh, had a little little group. But uh, and I and I always knew I was going to be a teacher even when I was in eighth grade. That was something I was going to do. It was uh, in my uh, career plan. I enjoyed uh, doing that kind of thing. And so. You know, the choices were, were a few in those days and moving to Trenton did not sound like the most exciting thing <laughs> in the world. Um, and it just seemed like Glassboro was the place to go. So that was it. And, you know, kind of easy from the Jersey Shore. I agree. So I also grew up close to probably about 10 minutes from where Lillian's childhood home is. And I agree, sometimes we went home a lot on the weekends because there's so much great stuff at the Jersey Shore. You're so used to being close to the beach and all these fabulous restaurants. So Glassboro, I know for me, when I came here, I didn't even know how to say Gloucester County. I was like, Gloucester, where, you know, where am I? (laughs) I loved it here, but couldn't quite pinpoint where we were. So what did you think when you got here? Did you immediately fall in love with it? Oh, absolutely. And you have to remember when I was there in, starting in 1958, there was College Hall and a very few buildings around the quad. And that was it. Cross 322 was, you know, peach and apple orchards. So as an aside, on the weekends when we go home, I would pull up slowly by the other side of the road and my passengers would run out and grab some apples or whatever was, you know, ripe at the time, put them in the car, we'd zip off and then we'd be eating fruit all the way home. It was a beautiful little campus at that time. And of course, College Hall with the dome and everything, and it was College Hall in those days, uh, with the dome and everything was just magnificent looking, just a beautiful looking campus. So I loved it. And and I, my, my friends did too. It was just a nice place to be. It's still a great like postcard picture. Yeah. Th- like the, the, the bunt screen mm-hmm. and that side of Absolutely. campus, just so gorgeous like to have. Think we've had our um, engagement photos taken on bunt screen, maternity photos. So many profs, sweethearts take their pictures yes. on bunt screen because it's just so iconic. We love that building. So what is uh, you, while you were here on campus, any, what were some of the uh, activities you were involved with? Well, I, I immediately got involved with journalism in my freshman year because I had been involved with it in, uh, in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, I wrote a, a weekly column for our local newspaper on things that were happening at Point Pleasant Beach High School. So uh, I was really into writing and and all of that. So I immediately got involved with the WIT and um, stayed involved with it all four years and became a senior editor in my senior year uh, and just kind of went up the ladder. So um, that was my main uh, area of uh, involvement. But I was part of Kappa Delta Pi. 
and we did a lot of service through that organization. And but then we sponsored a what we called New Jersey Collegiate Press Day on on campus one time and brought people from all over the state to our campus um, to have a journalism uh, activity. So we really did a lot of things in journalism, which of course that's what I went on to do and am still doing these days. So Lillian, tell us what it was like, the social environment when you were here on campus. Cause I always think our listeners might like to hear um, when we bring our golden profs back on campus. So our graduates of 50 or more years mm -hmm. ago, we get to hear so many cool stories about who was allowed in dorms and when, and what you were allowed to wear and not allowed to wear. And I think that historical context of the social piece is kind of neat. So can you tell us a little bit about what that was like on campus then? Well, from the very first day we arrived, we, we had little hats called dinks that we had to wear as freshmen. And um, you had to, and, uh, listen, women didn't wear slacks in those days. I mean, it was skirts and it was bobby socks. Um, and that was, you know, kind of the the uniform of the day, let's say. Um, but the so as far as the social life was concerned, I don't think there were any more than about 1,500 students on campus in those days. We were really very small. So you really got to know a lot of folks, uh, which was lovely. The student center was the the place to be, which is it's no longer the student center. But in, in those days, that's where your your social life was. You You hung out there and you... Uh, got together with with friends and did activities and hang, hung out in the cafeteria. So it was it was just an opportunity really to get to know a lot of people because we were small and it was very personal. It was a very personal kind of an environment. But we also, um, our first year, we had to live off campus as freshmen. They didn't have enough dorm rooms and the dorms were segregated, you know, male and female, and there weren't enough dorm rooms. So we lived off campus, which made us which forced us into trying to connect with people on campus as freshmen. And the way I did it and some of my friends did was we got involved like with the newspaper. So you were there evenings working in, in the, the student center. Uh, you were working on the paper, you know, and writing and with, with your little group, which was of course, across all of the different classes. So um, our social life or my social life really was, Kind of around journalism activities and, and with the students. And the other thing that uh, because of my interest in, in journalism and in writing, I got involved with was the student handbook. It was called the Acorn and uh, became the editor of that. And then eventually became, we had a Bureau of Student Publications. And I don't know if that still exists to this day, but it was representatives of all the student media at the time, the, the yearbook uh, included. Uh, I became president of that organization, so got to know people working on all of the student media uh, that were there at the time. So that became became the social realm for me and for colleagues who were who were really, really interested in that area. And was there a professor or a mentor you had while you were here that kind of helped shape your experiences at Glassboro State? Yeah, it was George Reinfeld. He was the uh, advisor to the WIT and. Uh, the the journalism teacher at that time the only journalism teacher and there weren't there weren't many journalism courses I think there were only two or three that were taught so there wasn't a major or minor or anything like that so you took those courses and then you worked uh, you know on the student media and George was always there to work with us so he put in the late nights just like we put in the late nights 
So he was he was really the mentor to all of us. I always forget that you worked in Central Jersey, so all of these little snippets of Point Pleasant and Brick Township, like you know, you know those. Places. I do know those, but I also have a question for Lillian: Is there such a thing as Central New Jersey? Because to me, it's North and South. I mean, I don't know that <laughs> That's Central because Jersey you're exists. not from there. I, I used to tell people because I used to work in the sort of brick area, and I told people I'm going to North Jersey. And they were well, like, from here it's from north, here it's north, but it's not—it's not North Jersey. And they told me it's not pork roll; it's Taylor ham. I don't know what it is. I, we could do that. I don't know. Long. I call it pork roll. But Lillian, there's a Central Jersey, right? There is a Central Jersey, particularly if you <laughs> live there, because we weren't North Jersey. Actually, I was born in in Linden, so that was North Jersey. But when I was ten, eleven, we moved down to the shore, and then I grew up there. But we were the shore. Lillian's house was five minutes from Point Pleasant Beach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, a few years ago, Lillian was on campus, and I had the pleasure of taking Lillian back to uh, her childhood home. And we kind of ventured all about Point Pleasant and Bayhead, and she introduced me to this incredible bakery, Muller's, which is um, in – that's Bayhead, right? Right, Lillian? Right. It, Rob, it was crazy because when I was in high school, I used to work at this bakery called Christina's Bakery, which was in the, the Ramtown section of Howell, which people who were from my area would know what that meant. And it was like the duplicate of that bakery. Like, like I think the recipes must have been shared amongst the bakeries because it's like I went there with Lillian and I like smelt and and looked at everything and I was like, Lillian, it's like you brought me home. <laughs> like, because like, it was just like a piece of my, my youth growing up that like that just walking into a bakery. It was so, that day was so fun. We had such a good time. And we really did. And, and I'm thankful to you for being willing to drive us over to the shore, but it was a fun part of the day. Absolutely. I enjoyed it tremendously. So Jessica kind of got the, got the feels when she went to the bakery. Do you get the feels when you come back to campus and get to see everything that's going on here in Glassboro now, the development that's taking place? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, and I have not been back. I will tell you, the first time I went back was for my 40th reunion. So you can imagine from when I graduated in, in 62 to when we went back for our 40th reunion, what a difference there was. I mean, it was like, whoa, <laughs> uh, coming out you know, into another world because uh, the, the, the apple orchards and peach orchards were yeah. gone. I, I lived in, uh, in my sophomore year, I lived in Linden and, and also actually in Hollybush. And that's a whole other story, which Jess knows. And then my junior, senior year, uh, I lived in Laurel. Well, that all changed. You know, Linden was no longer, I guess, a dorm, right? Linden's and, gone. Like, yeah, Linden's gone now, even. It's a part. Linden uh, is, they paved paradise and they put up a parking <laughs> lot on Broadway. Very good reference. I mean, yeah, there's a, that's a parking lot now, Linden. Wow. Well, that was I, the last time I was back. When, I'm trying to remember, four years ago, five years ago. So Lillian, what brought you out to Florida? How did you get there? After I taught at Brick for a while at, at the high school level, uh, the first community college uh in New Jersey opened, it was Ocean County College in Tom's River. Some of the folks from Brick went over there and then they recruited me to go over to Ocean County College as well. So I went over there to start the journalism program. I loved starting things and start the student newspaper and spent four years there. And then at the time, a friend of mine who was teaching at Miami-Dade College, um, which was also a community college at the time, and I was I got involved nationally in the community college Journalism Association. It was an organization. And that's how I met Mario Garcia through that. And uh, he said, we have, we have an opening for a yearbook advisor and a journalism teacher with me. Uh, and why don't you come down? And um, I had met 
the man who would become my husband at the time. And he had gone to University of Miami for his undergraduate degree. And he always wanted to go to Florida. So it was kind of circumstances. Um, they offered me the job at Miami-Dade. So I thought, you know, it was time to look for maybe some upward mobility that, you know, I could look at a future where I might be able to become whatever, you know, at that point in time. So uh, in 71, I, I went to Miami-Dade. And then in 72, FIU opened. So I watched it in its early days and I thought, oh, this would be amazing if I could get a job at FIU. And then, uh, so I just sent my resume over because they were hiring, they were hiring everybody because it was a brand new university. Sent my resume over and they called me for an interview and hired me um, the, next, the following year um, as the first director of student activities for FIU. Um, and because of my journalism background, because I could do student media, I needed to start the yearbook, the newspaper, the radio station. You knew they were probably it. underpaying you. Oh, they, they definitely were. And every student activity, including student government, and you know what a student government is, trying to start one up, write a constitution. And I was that, that advisor. So I had to start everything. And uh, interestingly, one of the first parts of my job uh, at FIU was hiring entertainment to come on campus. At the time, we only had one building. That was how the university started. So I hired a group called the Miami Sound Machine. Well, the Miami Sound Machine became Gloria Stefan and her group. So wow. I knew Gloria when she was a kid. We hired her and her, well, her husband at the time, too, was part of the band. And they came and entertained at FIU. So it was kind of fun, <laughs> to say the least. Lillian, did your but husband I work at FIU as well? He did. What yeah. did he do there? Uh, he worked in the recruitment office where, um, you know, because we had to set up, we were a two-year university when we opened. We were just junior and senior. Florida had such a big system of community colleges, which New Jersey did not at the time. And so they needed to build some universities that would build on the community college system so students could go two years to the community college, transfer to the university for two years. And for the first eight years of the university, we were a two-year upper division university. Then we added freshmen and graduate programs after that. That's how I started. That was my first job. And it was, for me, it was Nirvana because here I was, I was 30 years old and the average age of our students was 29 because people oh, wow. were waiting and waiting for a university here in South Florida. There was the University of Miami and it was too expensive for our communities here. So people, we got inundated. And on opening day, we had 5,637 students opening day. And it was the largest opening enrollment of a university in the history of the United States. And what's the current enrollment? 57,000. Could you imagine? That's insane. I know. Their alumni office staff's probably not getting paid enough. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> we are actually the third largest university in the United States. So now, Lillian, you've worked 50 years at the school. And you've seen all different types of young people come through there. Talk to us and give some people some advice, maybe who are professors or educators, admins, on the different groups that you've seen over the years, how they've evolved and how education has changed over the years. Oh, it's, it's really changed. And, and I think, you know, the information age is what has changed uh, universities and young people drastically. And I think we all, we all know that. But in the early days of, um, of FIU, we were small with 5,000 students for us, that was small. And we only had, and then we only put up two more buildings in the next couple of years. So we still had a small campus. 
but people were very close to one another. You really got to know everybody. I got to know all the employees and the staff and everything on campus. And I got to know the students so much more closely. But of course, size comes into a factor today that you, you don't have that closeness. But um, because of classes that are offered online and distance learning and everything else, we are finding that education doesn't have that personalization process that it used to have, which our students don't like. They they were so eager to get back to face-to-face -to -face education after going through everything online during the pandemic, because I think that they felt they lost something in, in being able to be with one another. But the, I think the biggest thing that we can see in, in those years has been the technological revolution, that it's totally changed education. Um, it's changed the way people deal with one another. Um, and I think we find ourselves looking for more opportunities to bring people together as much as we can uh, to try to you know, facilitate um, the socialization process because it's not happening. I mean, there's little kids and Jess, you have little kids and I don't know if you do, Rob, but you know, or they're they're on their phones all the time. My little little ones are on my. They steal are my they? phone. Yeah, they yeah. they take it. They listen to. I mean, they don't really know how to use it, so I have to help them. But they listen. They like it. It lights up. That's fun. <laughs> it, no, makes, yeah. it makes noise. noise There's pictures of them on there. There's videos. So they like to look through the pictures and the videos, and they like to. My oldest likes to put headphones on and listen to music, like it's a record player. That's on okay. My phone. I mean, hey, he could be doing worse things. So, oh, so he likes to listen to some Wu Tang every once in a while. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like Lillian, you got to really kind of recreate Glassboro State College because it was such a small school down there. You almost got to replicate your experience at FIU as it grew up with a one building, similar to the your Glassboro State College experience, and really lead them through, you know, their sort of evolution. And, and you know, it's really true because of my experience at Glassboro and its size with that whole, you know, closeness and what we tried to do with putting different events on, um, it, it really did in the early days of FIU uh, was a lesson for me. And I've always liked starting things. I have to be honest with you. I like I when I went to Ocean County College, it, in fact, our first classes were in the basement of Thomas River High School before we built the campus. So we started a brand new campus there. I started journalism programs and the student newspaper, which was the Viking News there, and then going to FIU, again, starting the programming, all kinds of programming, plus student newspaper and student media. So I have enjoyed building programs. I've always loved doing that. And throughout my career, even at FIU, once I moved out of student activities and student affairs into, I was the public relations director for the university, a special events director for a number of years, and then went over to the academic side and became a faculty member and started the Department of Communication, which then morphed into the School of Journalism and Mass Communication. So I was one of the founders of the School of Journalism and Mass Communication as well. It eventually became its dean. So, and then, you know, when I stepped down, it's just kind of a timeline, but when I stepped down as dean of the school after almost nine years as the dean, I decided to found the Center for the Advancement of Women in Communication, which I'm now the executive director of. So kind of coming full circle, but I've always loved building, building things. 
Including your LinkedIn profile, apparently, because that's that's pretty pretty impressive stuff. (laughs) It's a great resume, for sure. So, Lillian, what was it like to go from being a student affairs professional to go to, like, the other side and become a faculty member? Because those are kind of different different, um, areas in higher education. What was it like to make that move? Did you like it? Actually, it was the provost at the time who called me to his office, and I was doing public relations at the time. And he said, you know, we want to start a communications program. And he said, I think you should consider becoming a faculty member and moving over to the faculty side. So it was through his nudging, because he knew of my experience, that I actually did it. So I'm not sure I would have made that decision myself, frankly. But he said, no, this is something I think you need to do. And so uh, facilitated my move over to what was just a three-person group at the time. So that's how it started. Now, you mentioned that you hadn't been back to Glassboro for 40 years after you graduated. What brought you back? How did you get reengaged with the institution? Well, it was interesting. I hadn't thought about going back because I was living so far away. And that was part of the problem. And but they were started to promote 40 years out. And I had kept in touch with some of the people that I had graduated with. And everyone said, oh, you've got to come back. You've got to come back. And so I thought, well, okay, we'll do that. And then I was asked to be part of the reunion committee that sort of changed everything for me because then I started getting in touch with folks I hadn't talked with in 40 years and uh, got very excited about it and came back to campus. And it was such a shock. (laughs) There there was this new brand new student center and, and that in itself was an amazing experience where because we, we had everything in the ballroom and just walking around campus and seeing that the library had moved from where it was in Savitz on campus and all of the changes that had happened. It was I couldn't recognize the campus anymore because actually the base had moved across 322 in effect. Now, you didn't just get on the reunion committee and have your reunion and and leave us. You have ever since stayed very connected. You currently serve on the Golden Profs Reunion Committee, um, but you've also made several gifts to the institution. How did that happen? What what got you interested? Because your first gift was to create the Alumni Engagement Center, which is kind of my area of campus, which is, you know, how we know each other. But what what had you make that gift and start giving to Rowan? I think once I came back, you know, and I saw the campus and, and had such a great time seeing former classmates and it just got me kind of, you know, thinking about Glassboro again, frankly, and uh, thinking about all the good times I had had there. And I thought this is something that I, I really, really want to do. I was looking for the opportunity to maybe do something with Rowan and um, wasn't sure what it was, but the whole idea of doing something with alumni was kind of fun for me because I thought that as an alumnus, you know, I had come back and maybe other alums should, should come back too. It is the Lillian Lodge Copenhaver (laughs) Alumni Engagement Center. We are always, I mean, we see your name 
on on the regular when we walk in there and, and your face and it's a room that, you know, the president hosts meetings in and deans and we have alumni events and student alumni association meetings. So it's really neat to be able to kind of bring your history into that space. But then you also later on made a gift um, to establish a career resource library for career advancement as well. So <laughs> you've kind of dabbled in in your contributions, but um, I know that you met, had met Bob Ballard and maybe that had sparked some conversations, but can you tell us a little bit about that? It was RJ and Chris came down to visit. And, uh, RJ worked in advancement. Chris is uh, director of alumni engagement. So for those of you yeah. that don't know, yeah. And they came down to visit and, and Chris um, kind of was talking to me, maybe doing something else with alumni. And I said, well, you know, I might, I might look at some other ideas. And RJ, I guess, talked to Bob and said, well, here's, here's an idea that we might be interested in. And I really was because I thought developing a career resource library, again, would help alumni, but help graduating students. And so I thought, well, this is good. And so when I came down for the ribbon cutting, because I was able to get, or I should say came up from here, <laughs> it was so exciting that, uh, I, and that's when I met Sandy, uh, Stanford Tweedy, uh, who's Dean of the College of Communications. And I said, you know, we have this center and I said, we really ought to do something together. And it was just kind of a casual conversation at the ribbon cutting. And he said, yeah, let's do that. So then we talked and talked and wound up having our first satellite of the Copenhagen Center for the Advancement of Women in Communication at Rowan University. Uh, and that has actually been such a joy because I will tell you, I've been more involved now with Rowan than I ever was before because of the center and Julie Haynes and Stanford Tweedy and all the communications folks. Um, and now I'm, I'm hoping in the fall that we'll do another ribbon cutting for the, um, the suite. There's going to be a suite for the Women in Communications program. And Lillian, we've mentioned the Center for Advancement of Women in Communication. Can you talk about what the mission is, the goal of the organization? Sure. Um, let me just say that this is our 10th anniversary year this year. So we are really, really excited. Uh, we, we were founded in 2013. Our mission statement is to empower young women in all the fields of communication in order to develop visionaries and leaders who can make a difference in their communities and in their professions. So we are building an army of women empowered for the future. What we are doing for the past, and what have, we have been doing for the past 10 years is putting on programs. Um, we do uh, monthly virtual workshops. They're virtual now. They were in person prior to the pandemic. But we found that now with our, our satellite centers, and we now have three satellite centers. Rowan was the very first. Uh, we have also have one at Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri, which is the second oldest women's college in the United States, and a third at Marymount University, which is in Arlington, Virginia. And we will be opening another uh, satellite center at California State University, Fullerton, uh, in the fall. So now we're doing the workshops virtually because with all of our satellite centers, we can bring together students and folks across the country. So through virtual workshops now, but in-person workshops prior to the pandemic, we did some statistical research on the reach of our programs and we've reached 28,000 young women mm -hmm. in the 10 years that we've been doing these workshops. We do a national conference. We've done six of them. Our sixth was this year. Uh, we do uh, workshops uh, on 
on topics. We did a leadership fellows workshop, a mentorship program where we it was one year long and we matched up uh, a young woman working in the field, already working in the field with a professional and in, in a mentorship program. We did that for three years. Um, we also do a program in the summer with uh, young PhD faculty who've just gotten their PhDs and have started teaching journalism and mass communication at colleges and universities across the country. And this year was our 10th anniversary of that, that one summer workshop. Uh, we do it in conjunction with the annual convention of the Association for Education in Journalism and Mass Communication, and their conference moves around the country. So um, this coming year, it's in Washington, D.C., and we will do our 11th workshop. Uh, it's a six-hour event where we bring together, uh, and they have to apply for the program, but it's new young PhDs, assistant professors who are just starting on the tenure track, wanting to move up the ladder to maybe to become a director or a chair or a dean someday. And we train them. We bring in senior deans and directors uh, to talk to them. We do roundtables and everything when we have them together. Um, and we've had nearly 350 young women faculty go through that program in the 10 years we've done it uh, from about 150 different colleges and universities, even internationally. We've had folks from Australia and Sweden and the Dominican Republic and you name it, Chile, uh, you name it. We've had faculty members from all of those countries and states and colleges and universities. So what we what we try to do is to, um, I think you're all well aware that half of the population, more than half the population of this country is female. And yet only one third of the positions in media and in communications uh, are filled by women. So our job is to try to do leadership training to empower young women to be able to move up that ladder and become the leaders in the communications professions of tomorrow. And that's what we try to do. We work with, with them in high school. Uh, we do programs bring it, where we bring high school kids to campus. We work with them through boot camps in which Rowan participates uh, in the boot camp, uh, graduating seniors. We work with them as alumni and we work with them in the community. So we have kind of a full range of programs that we put on throughout the year. So we're pretty proud of the work we've done. And there's no other center like ours in the country. We're unique because we do training and programs for both academics as well as professionals, women. Can you think of any personal experiences you've had as a female communicator that might have inspired the creation of a center like this? Oh, definitely. <laughs> in, in so many instances, I was the uh, only woman in the room in a journalistic kind of setting. After, when I started teaching, I had uh, become a member of this group I had mentioned, the Association for Education and Journalism and Mass Communication, and got involved with them. And I went to their conferences, and I was literally one of the few women there. And there were, you know, 1,000, 1,500 people going to the conference, and there were not many women there. Uh, and uh, I thought to myself, goodness, you know, this is... Um, this is very strange. And so I thought we need to facilitate more women getting involved in journalism education. Um, and then um, when I moved to Miami, uh, I got involved with the Society of Professional Journalists, which had a greater Miami chapter, became a member of that. I had originally been inducted into the society as one of the very first women they ever took in because it was a man's group. Um, and they decided in 1970 to induct some women 
And I was inducted in 1970. That was one of the first women into the New Jersey chapter. So I joined the chapter when I got down here, uh, wound up becoming its president, but realized that there were no women members. There were one other woman who recruited me to the chapter. So I, I was in so many instances like this where I was the first woman something in the field of journalism. And it was very difficult because when I was looking to build our Greater Miami chapter of SPJ down here, I went around and met with some of the men who had been past chapter presidents, because it was an old chapter, it had been around for quite a while, and wanted to recruit them to come back. And the answer I got was, oh, when they let women in, it just changed the whole tenor. <laughs> so uh, I decided that I needed to, I didn't want other women to have to be subjected to things like that. You know, in my work in the School of Journalism, we tried to facilitate doing things for young women, and then also through the center, which is our main focus now, is to try to um, facilitate young women becoming leaders in the field of communications. You and I have also talked about this group of women that you sometimes lunch with and um, this history of that. So I kind of think that that's a, a neat little thing. Can you tell Can you tell Rabba, because I know about it, but can you tell Rabba about this group? <laughs> yes, it's called the Sisterhood. Uh, about, I want to say, 12 years or so ago. Do we have we to had, swear people, uh, by the way, not to like, yeah. you give the secret out? Yeah, well, she's saying it on, on a, live on a show. Okay, so, so yeah, yeah. Gonna, <laughs> I just want to make sure. We've had our, our current president there. If you tried to, to become a member of the sisterhood, we wouldn't let him. <laughs> he he uh, jumped into one of our dinner meetings one time, said, could he come? <laughs> there were a few of us who were women deans at the time. And so we talked about, we really ought to have some of the women leaders at the university have an opportunity to get together to talk uh, about women in leadership, et cetera. A colleague of mine, she was the Dean of Nursing at the time, made it happen. She was kind of the facilitator. And it was women who were deans, vice presidents, uh, assistant VPs, you know, of that level. And we had a group of about 12 women and we started getting together bi-monthly, let's say, at one another's house. We just kind of moved around South Florida depending upon who, you know, would, would host the next get together. It was kind of a dinner or a potluck or whatever it may be, but we could talk about issues as they related to women within the university. Um, and also about just um, mentoring each other, you know, uh, helping younger women along, uh, advising them on various kinds of things. And it was just a really good opportunity. So um, and the sisterhood still exists. And we, in the core of us, um, there are six of us and, we still get together every couple of months. Um, in fact, we have an event coming up in, in, on March the 2nd um, where one of, one of our uh, members, she was the dean of the uh, College of Business Administration, since retired and moved out of state, but she's going to be in town. So we're using that excuse to get the sisterhood together and, and with her because we haven't seen her in a while. But we still facilitate things happening. And one of the members of our group went on to become the chancellor at the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth and uh, others have become, you know, moved on to other positions. But we, an, another one is the president of Marymount University, but there's still that core group and we still get together. And even though some of them moved away, they come to Miami. My, it seems Miami is always home, but it's been really good because women need to do that kind of thing to share, uh, to share advice, to um, help younger women coming up who, you know, help them up the ladder. And we found that that's really been uh, very helpful and, and a good model, I think. You, you could 
We have that model at any place. Well, you have, have you had this group together? They can bring this to other institutions. I'm trying to still get myself in the sisterhood. Oh, you're not in? <laughs> no. no, no. I thought you'd be like an honorary member. No, I should. Lillian, we can talk <laughs> offline about that. I'll come to the next one. So you have all these affiliate centers, but what does it mean for you to have one here at your alma mater? Well, of course, Rowan was the first. It, it just ties, well, it, it's nice for me because it ties me back to Rowan at a wider level than just maybe coming back for a reunion. There was a lady whom you know very well, Kathy Rosansky. Mm -hmm. uh, Kathy got really was the one who pulled me back in to Rowan. Um, and, but it was through reunions and Kathy and I, you know, uh, she was my little sister, basically. You know, she called me big sis and I called her little sis. We became very close. She, she started pulling me back in. And so that's why we always did our, every five years, our class did a reunion because of Kathy. I, I decided that I wanted to, do a little bit more with the university. And so when I talked to Sanford Tweedy, when I had come back that time, Jess, you were there. When I talked to Sandy, that's how we got the idea of doing something together. Um, and I was really excited about it. And then we talked some more and he said, yes, let's do a center here. And that's really how it came about. It was through just kind of offhanded conversation with Sandy because I said to him, we need to do something together. You know, and, and and he just jumped. I mean, he's so good. And he just jumped at the opportunity and uh, named uh, Julie Haynes to run the center. And she's an amazing individual. And and just working with Julie has been a joy. Well, we've walked past your space and, it, you know, we're making progress, but, you know, higher ed, it's slow and steady. Um, you've worked in higher ed 50 years, so, you know, but it's coming, it's coming along. So we're so excited, you know, not to speak for Julie, but you know, uh, Julie is so excited to have that space and be able to work out of that space and honor you in that space and your work. So we're, we're excited for that. Now, Lillian, you said you like to start things and it's just the three of us uh, with that entrepreneurial spirit of yours. Do you have anything else you're trying to start like right now? You can tell us if it's on top of your mind, you know. What we're trying to do right now, what, what's in the planning stage is the celebration of our 10th anniversary. And what I've, uh, we've established is an endowment for the center because I want to ensure its longevity. So what we're working on right now is a, um, a 10th anniversary luncheon, which will be on May the 18th at the Biltmore Hotel, which down here is kind of the iconic old Miami, what you might think of as, you know, the old Miami, it's about a hundred years old hotel where all the elegant things took place and presidents stayed and all of that. That's what we're building now is, is an endowment for the center. Uh, we're looking at bringing together influential women for this this uh, luncheon that we're going to be doing uh, to tell our story on a broader scope throughout South Florida right now. So uh, that's 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 the building. We'll put it that way. Lillian, when you're not doing the center, what are we doing for fun in Miami? There's got to be a lot to oh. do. Don't us, you don't have to give us She's everything. Partying. Yeah, I know, but like. <laughs> You know, she's getting her HVAC. You don't have the poor thing. Poor HVAC is not the most fun. But what what are we doing for fun when we're not doing all this extra work that you take on? You know, I've I've always lived close to the water. I've never been able to move away from the water. For me, you know, what's fun is that you know, on an early morning, is to drive down by the ocean and sit. We don't have a boardwalk here. We have something called a broadwalk where I live. <laughs> That's what my grandfather used to call it. I thought he was just kidding. <laughs> no, because <laughs> it's not wood. <laughs> you know, pavers and go down and sit on a bench and look at the water. And, and you know, for me, that's really relaxing. 
And as I said, I've always been by the water, you know, my entire life. For me, there's an affinity, uh, particularly the ocean. And, you know, for me, fun is going down, taking a book, sitting on a bench and reading and listening to the waves and and doing that sort of thing. So Lillian, just in closing, any advice? Because I think it's so it so speaks to women's experiences, your experience when you first started at FIU, right? Like they were handing you a million responsibilities to kind of juggle and kick things off. And do you have any advice because that's still happening to women just juggling multiple responsibilities and trying to do everything really well? What advice do you have for the young professional trying to make it all happen? Well, I I recall something that um, Barbara Walters once said, for women to get ahead, you need to be the first one in the office in the morning and the last one out the door at night. And I think that if you show dedication, no matter what it is, and you work really, really hard, and you show people that you want to make a difference, that is going to enable you to become a leader and, and move up that ladder. And women uh, need to do that. They need to become leaders. They need to um, to change the equation in in our country where they are they're looked to for their expertise. If you look at the front page of a newspaper many times, most of the bylines are by male reporters, not female reporters. So we need to change that equation, particularly in communication, which of course is my area. And I think just really working hard, loving what you're doing every morning, you get up and you want to go wherever you're going to go to work and enjoy that day and um, just say, hey, I'm going to do the best job I can possibly do. And, uh, you know, you will succeed. It will happen. I love her. Can I, <laughs> can that be how we end? Can we end you can it? Just say that. Just say that I love her. That's I, it. I do love her. I had, so I've been very lucky to get to know Lillian over the years. When she made her gift for the Career Advancement Center, RJ Tellerita, who was um, in advancement at the time, had said, I really want you to connect with Lillian. I think you all have a lot in common. We had that Central Jersey piece, that women in communication piece. Um, and he said, I want you to connect with her. And I'm thinking maybe you could bring her back to her childhood home in Point Pleasant. And I was like, are you sure she's going to? She's going to want me. She's never met me before. We're going to go to Point Pleasant. I was like, OK, I love it. It's home. And it was like. I just was, I loved her. The second I met her, I was in love with her. I was like, this woman is brilliant. She's so smart. And she was so easy to talk to, just as easy as it was in the interview. We talked for two straight days when she was here on campus. Plus, you got to like anybody who takes you to a bakery, right? <laughs> Don't you love we that? did. They have this special, are you a crumb cake kind of guy? Am I a I- of crumb cake. Okay, so this bakery is so good. Next time, now my parents don't live around there anymore, so next time I'm in that area, this bakery, Muller's in Bayhead, sells the crumbs of their crumb cake in a bag. That is... It's the best part of the crumb cake, honestly. <laughs> yes, so they sell, like I've sent Lillian a bag of crumbs, but which sounds silly because it it's like yeah, you it sent somebody like crumbs. Yeah, you, know, you, you big crumb. <laughs> yeah, but I've sent Lillian those crumbs before because that bakery was so good. But we had so fun. We shopped while we were up there and we went, we ate lunch at Point Pleasant and um, just so much fun. So she's just such an impressive woman and I look up to her and all that. That she's done, and I'm excited you got to meet her. And she talked about that, you know, that sisterhood group that she's a part of. Yeah, I don't. I'll, we'll just we won't give out the full handshake. <laughs> yeah, no, but you guys she, didn't she get gave to us see she gave it. us the special handshake. Yeah, off, so now only Rob earth. and I know how to join. Exactly. So you know, we're in. I feel like we're in. I think we're in. She invited us down. I mean, she's having that conference for her 10th anniversary conference. We should just go down and surprise her. Don't you I think? mean, oh my gosh, that 
that would be so fun. Oh, be don't so say fun. it on oh, air. Give me my face. <laughs> Lillian, don't listen to that part. But if we do the sisterhood handshake, we're in. Yeah, I love it. Well, I think she's super cool. I am so grateful for all that she's done for Rowan and continues to do on the regular. So we hope that you had a blast listening to Lillian and you were inspired. And I think I'm going to have to end it by saying the future is female, Rob. You've been listening to Beyond the Brown and Gold on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You can find more episodes on your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Beyond the Brown and Gold or Rowan Radio On Demand.